Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Whether you love them or avoid them at all costs, ghost stories are powerful even if we're old enough to know better than to check the closet or under the bed. But there is a Holy Ghost who does exist, fully God and all-powerful. He works through Christians all over the planet. Yet sadly, Christians often seek to be known more for their talent and intellect rather than any supernatural power. Could it be that we've forgotten the one who sets us apart from every other worldview? It's time to tell some ghost stories. Hey, welcome everyone to part four of a five-week series, Ghost Stories. Whilst many of us might have different experiences and feelings or even beliefs when it comes to ghost stories, we're looking at a holy ghost, the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God, and telling those holy ghost stories that we find throughout history as well as in our lives today. Hey, maybe you're here and you find yourself on some kind of spectrum of curiosity and cynicism, uh, and that's totally okay. I just want to invite you to stick with me over the next 25 minutes or so uh, with all of your questions as we continue this series. If you've missed any of the previous three weeks, you can find them all online at forgechurch.com. But just as a way of recap, uh, though, in week one, we found that there is a Holy Spirit, God's personal presence, who leads us and guides us. And that whilst the church in the past has perhaps been guilty of separating the supernatural from the religious, the defining factor when it comes to the Christian faith in relation to any other worldview, is not just its intellect and talent, important though those things are, but actually it's its supernatural power. In week two, Steve actually spoke about the most famous encounter of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Uh, We call it the account of Pentecost uh, and how you today can actually know the Holy Spirit for yourself, encounter him for yourself, and that the Spirit of God not only just leads us, but actually fills us too. And last week we explored how what that looks like, how the Holy Spirit uh, is a gift to us, but also offers gifts to us in turn for us to use and grow as we partner with God in putting a broken world world back together. This week, though, we're going to be asking a question that I believe we probably don't address as much as we should within church, but I believe is unavoidable when we talk around the Holy Spirit. And that is this, if there is a good and holy ghost, what about the other side of the supernatural? A few weeks ago, I shared a story of when I went to see a scary movie uh, that I wasn't old enough to go and watch when I was younger, which caused all kinds of questions for me. Because whilst I knew that there was a God, and I knew that there was probably angels, whilst I theoretically believed, therefore, that there must be demons and a devil, I never really paid uh, that side of things much attention when it came to my faith. And when I started to question those things, uh, perhaps the reason I didn't want to pay it much attention was that there was a fear of what they could do, or, or what they were, or where they were, and what that meant for me. And whilst that might sound a little bit spooky and scary, I think one of the pitfalls that we fall into when it comes to this side of the supernatural, whether you have faith or not, or maybe you just consider yourself spiritual, is that when what we don't understand, we often fear. 
or we become blind to. I mean, think about it like this. If you're someone who doesn't like spiders and you find a spider in your house, what do you do? Well, some of you will be content with somebody else probably picking up the spider and putting it outside because whether it exists or not is kind of irrelevant to you as long as you can't see it. Others of you, you will not sleep until you know that spider is squished because the very knowledge of its existence, uh, what that spider might do to you when you go to sleep, you just don't like it very much. Likewise, when it comes to the devil or the demonic, what we don't understand may well turn into fear or complete denial. What does that fear look like? Well, uh, you might know people or have met people where whenever something bad happens, it's the devil. Uh, whenever something doesn't go right, uh, it's like there's a demon around every corner. I would guess for most of us, though, we probably fall into the other camp, which is choosing to be blind or ignorant to that side of faith. What does that look like? Well, often it's not really thinking about it at all. Other times it's trivializing it and depicting it in light-hearted ways with children's costumes or cartoons even uh, with little devil horns. Other times when things are looking dark uh, and there are things that just go wrong, we might look at other solutions that may well play a part in the problem, but really may just be symptoms of things that actually go a little bit deeper. Uh, one of perhaps the most helpful and famous books around this area uh, is a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It was written in 1942, originally a satire, uh, but Lewis writes out these fictional letters uh, from an older experienced devil to a younger, more naive devil, helping him as he looks to draw this particular human away from who God is. It's brilliantly written, uh, but as uh, in the preference, C.S. Lewis writes this. There are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into when considering the devil. One is to disbelieve his existence. The other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. On one side, we can see him as just this little red-horned cartoon. On the other, this omnipotent, all-powerful beast who's a match for God and can hold him in what seems like this spiritual arm wrestle. What we're going to find out is that while both of those are untrue, either is accepted by the devil as both contribute to his ultimate goal. Regardless of which camp you fall into, I want to suggest that all of us, regardless of our background or our faith background, have an understanding of the power that lies behind this area of the Christian faith. In fact, it doesn't take much for us uh, when we hear this and see the darkest parts of the world on the TV and on the news to know that we have this innate understanding of what the powers of darkness can look like. I mean, think about it. When we see the missiles and the bombs and the landmines blowing up homes in wars and in conflicts, when we see the effects of cancer robbing the life of loved ones, when we hear the stories of the most awful and cruel kinds of abuse against the most vulnerable, when we see the examples of hatred and racism and discrimination, when we're confronted with those things, we know what evil looks like. We have an understanding of the power that it holds that actually just goes beyond the physical acts that we can see. We know that there's something darker behind it. In fact, the understanding of darkness that abides in those things, we almost know to be more real than the acts themselves. There is something not right, not good, uncomfortable, even frightening about them. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he spoke directly and unequivocally about these darknesses and its origin. In fact, before we look at that, though, it's worth looking at one of the followers of Jesus, what he wrote, what he observed about Jesus and what Jesus came to do. Uh, one of the disciples, John, wrote this. 
The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appears was to destroy the devil's work. What does this mean? Well, let me put it like this. The world is not a place of spiritual neutrality. There is a battle going on for the human heart that Jesus came ultimately to to destroy the works of evil, to destroy the things that we look at and instinctively just make us wince with disgust. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed by the devil. In fact, when Jesus was on earth, he himself says this, the thief's purpose And when Jesus is talking about the thief here, the context is that he's talking about the devil. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. There's a battle going on for the human heart. And the devil's ultimate goal, ultimate ambition and effort is to steal and kill and destroy you. Whether it's through temptation of things that at first seem just bright and shiny, fulfilling and satisfying, but actually leave you feeling alone and broken. Whether it's through convincing you that a certain action really doesn't actually contribute to the harm or hurt and abuse of others or even yourself. Whether it's enticing you into a routine that leads to an addiction and a dependency. Whether it causes you to be trapped into a circle of fear or blindness or obliviousness to who God is. Satan doesn't care. As long as he's able to steal your joy, your peace, your love, kill your relationships and your faith and your hope, or destroy your life in any way, he is content. Jesus says when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Think for a moment. How much of your life has been broken or at risk of being stolen because of the things that aren't true? Whether it's lies within a marriage or lies to yourself about the insecurities that keep you awake, keep you awake at night, lies about you in the worst place. We understand the power of a lie. And that's very, the very language of the devil. In fact, when you think about the times uh, when you knowingly and intentionally, even if regrettably do wrong, uh, not just a mistake, but sin, if you trace it back to its origin, you usually find it's born out of a lie. If you do this, then everything will be okay. It won't really hurt anyone. They don't deserve that anyway. It won't hurt if it's only once. Everyone does it so it's fine. It's not gossip, it's news. Whether it's through the subtle encouragement of stress and crowding out of rest, whether it's through the encouragement of false belief about who you are or the crowding out of joy, whether it's the encouragement to believe uh, that the noises you hear late at night uh, and the things in your house or the crowding out of belief of such things altogether, because surely life uh, is hard just because life is hard. The devil is content. And if you find that disconcerting or even a bit frightening, I just want to encourage you that whilst the biblical authors uh, are both candid and consistent about this, they are also confident and they don't need to fear. In fact, the phrase do not fear comes up over 350 times throughout the book uh, that we call the Bible. Uh, And I want to bring us back uh, to week one where we discovered that the most distinguishing mark of uh, who Christians are uh, after the resurrection was not their talent or intellect, but their power. So if that's who the devil is, who is the devil not? Well, he's not God's equal. 
He's not all powerful. He's not all present. Uh, whilst he's deceptive, he is not deterministic of your suffering. Uh, in fact, the New Testament writer and follower of Jesus, Paul, understood this. When he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, he said this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, we know what we see in this world is not all that there is to this world. That there is a battle for the human heart and there is an evil that we all see that is a symptom of a war that is being fought. On the contrary, Paul writes, uh, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? This is a metaphor given uh, that just like there are physical castles that seemingly can't be breached, uh, that, they, that they set themselves to rule over the surrounding areas, that there's also spiritual strongholds that can set themselves up in our lives. Uh, perhaps it's an addiction or perhaps uh, it's through a thought cycle or a belief about yourself that you assume um, that everyone else thinks about you. Uh, maybe it's a pattern of behavior or perhaps it's a, an illness. Uh, what do we do about it? Well, Paul says, we demolish arguments and set every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, we shed light on what is true in the midst of what is not true. Uh, we remind ourselves that our God is bigger, that his grace is wider, that his love is deeper than our mistakes, uh, that you can have a strong marriage, uh, that your insecurities do not define or determine who you are, that in your weakness, he raises you and brings you strength, that in every decision you make, you have the power to resist what might be easier and contribute to the brokenness of the world and instead take the harder option to put a broken world back together. Uh, another of Jesus's followers, Peter, puts it like this. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In other words, you have a power to resist him, a power that comes from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the personal presence of God that raised Jesus from the dead, which ultimately made a way for grace to beat death. I experienced this myself a little while ago. I was picking up my friend from uh, the airport after he'd just come back from America uh, on a retreat. Uh, and as I parked up in the airport, it was quite stressful because you know airports and the signs are kind of pointing you everywhere. Eventually found the short stay car park. Uh, and as I was pulling in, I reversed in. And as I was reversing, all in a little bit of a hurry because there were cars kind of like trying to get through, trying to get through. As I reversed, my wing mirror managed to plow into the back of this Land Rover's uh, taillight. And it kind of sort of wedged itself in there and I knew I'd done it and I kind of pulled forward and it had broken the glass and I then managed to like reverse back. It's the only time I've ever really had any form of car accident. Uh, and I sat there and the guy wasn't there. In fact, I could see on his windscreen that he had like this long-term parking permit. So he wasn't going to be back for a few days. And I just sat there not knowing what to do. And I was tempted just to leave it. In fact, there were several times I wrote down a note just to sort of say, these are my details. This is what, uh, you know, who I am and this is how to contact me so I can pay for your tail light and we can sort it out. And I put it on his windscreen and then I went back out and I took it back off again. And it was like there was a war within me trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Knowing that I could get away with it if I just went away. I was looking around for CCTV. I was looking around at who may have seen. My head was turning to its left and to its right. And for me, 
there was like this battle for my heart going on in the decision that I was going to make. Eventually, my friend came and I picked him up and I drove off. And after a little while, my friend was telling me about the experience of retreat. And he was just saying something I haven't really recognized as much as I should is that in every decision I make, it's a battle for the human heart. In every decision I make, uh, it's almost like the forces of darkness are trying to convince me that actually I shouldn't trust in God and what he has to provide for me and actually that his way is the better way of putting a broken world back together. And I just stopped the car and turned around and he said, where are you going? And I said, there's something I need to do. And I did leave a note and it did turn out to be okay and everything was all right and everything did uh, come about okay. But for me, I just couldn't uh, reconcile within myself uh, that I couldn't trust God with something as small as that. But actually, it's true, isn't it? With every decision, we need to be alert because there's a battle for the human heart. Whilst there is a war for the human heart uh, and the battle lines are drawn, the power that the armies hold are not equal. Uh, to help us understand uh, how we then uh, can be alert in the midst, I want to share a historical story that we can find in one of the earlier books of the Bible. In fact, it's a story that flips the table around a little bit, uh, where God uses a set of spiritual tactics to help a smaller army defeat a larger army. Smaller army, larger army. A set of spiritual tactics that I think also expose us to how the devil also seeks to fight against us. Uh, what I hope us, for us to see is that we should be alert, but we do not need to be afraid. Uh, the story comes in a time of Israel's history where God's people find themselves in this cycle of finding themselves far from God's will, uh, where through evil practices, they had turned their back on the mission of putting a broken world back together uh, and bought into the lie of having to live like the other surrounding pagan nations in order that they can succeed. And uh, as all uh, lies do, this leads to an entrapment and an enslavement um, uh, by the very armies that they seek to replicate. And in the midst of this regret, God appears to one of the men in Israel, a guy called Gideon, uh, to help redeem his people, to rescue them from the captivity that they find themselves in. You can find it all in chapter six and seven of an Old Testament book called Judges. I encourage you to read it, uh, which gives the story of when God helped redeem his people uh, who were turned away. And this, in this particular story, God shows the Israelite nation that with him, a small army can be a big army, but he also shows how small armies can beat big armies. After appearing to Gideon to invite him to lead his people into a war against the fierce and vast Midianite army, uh, and after a few false starts where Gideon's unsure and is a little bit fearful, here's how the story starts. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning his army to follow him. Uh, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. In other words, I want you to know who's going to be the defining factor in this war you're about to rage. And it's not you, it's me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may can turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Uh, so 22,000 men left while 10,000 men remained. And then after this, uh, this hugely depleted army, God actually tells Gideon to thin down his army again. And so they kind of do this really weird thing when they go to this river and drink some of the river. And eventually there's only 300 men left to fight this vast Midianite army who are described uh, to be as many as sand on a seashore. Described to be like sand on a seashore. Uh, just incalculable in number. 
Uh, and when the thing has just got a little bit weird, God used a tactic uh, that will show his people that he is in control and that he's the defining factor in their fight against evil. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them, with flaming torches inside. Watch me, Gideon told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. When I, and all who are with me, blow our trumpets, uh, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Uh, Gideon and the hundred men uh, with him reached the edge of the camp and the, the beginning of the middle of the watch, just as they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars and with their hands, uh, and broke their jars with their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, jars grasping their torches in their left hand and holding uh, in their right hand the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Whilst each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, uh, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Listen, that might sound like a bit of a crazy story, but there are two things I want you to take from this. Number one, that regardless of the size of the strongholds that surround you, regardless of the lies that look to deceive you, and regardless of the temptation that looks to destroy you, when we invite the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the personal presence of God, there is another way that will come through stronger. The second thing is this, though, and it's kind of what Peter said, be alert and of sober mind. Or as Paul said, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because I believe that the devil can actually use the same tactics that Gideon used against you. Think about it. How did a small army beat a large army? Presuming that the devil is not naive enough to think that he's more powerful than God, how will he look to steal, kill and destroy you? Uh, well, how did the small army beat the large one? In three ways, I think. They did it late at night with loud noises and distorted lights. Late at night, with loud noises and distorted lights. Think about it. When are you at most risk of making a bad decision? When are you at most at risk of regret? When are you at most at risk of allowing your heart to believe the lie that the way your heavenly father wants for you is not enough? Often it's with those three things. Those things come into play. Let's take a look at them. Number one, late at night. You know, there's a reason why children are often scared of the dark. It's like when we can't see uh, and things are uh, darker, we're left guessing at what could be in the corner. Uh, when you're tired uh, or when things aren't completely clear for you or, or when you're put in a position where you're not sure what's next or even if it's physically late at night, isn't it true that those are the times where you make the decisions that aren't best for you? Or, or maybe it's number two, through those loud noises, the voices that seem to dominate uh, telling you that you're not enough or that you haven't got what it takes or that your marriage is just not worth fighting for or saving uh, or you're failed as a parent or God couldn't love you, that the stress of the noise has just become overwhelming to you. Uh, you haven't got time to think and, and remind yourself of what's really true. Isn't though, aren't those the times uh, where you don't make the best decisions for you? Or maybe it's number three, the distorted lights. 
where things are not as they seem, where you have 10% of a story that makes things seem worse than it is and you fill up the 90% with the worst possible story, where things are just not, you're not sure where they should be anymore, where in your own mind you start to tell yourself a story or have arguments with people in your head that isn't even really true, where you take the reflection of things that are good and start to embrace them in ways that are grossly distorted like pornography or excess alcohol in order to fill a void. Isn't it true that it's at those times where you make the decisions that aren't best for you? Listen, let me ask you, where are the times and what are the situations and what are the patterns where you make the decisions that aren't best for you? Not in a selfish way, but where is it that you believe the lies, where you contribute to the stronghold? Because it's in those times where we're called to stay alert, to recognize that we have a Holy Ghost of our own who is stronger and more powerful and whose goal it is to bring us closer to a father God who loves us and wants us to come home. There is a war that rages for the human heart. And whilst we should be alert, we do not need to be afraid. Hey, before we go into the final part of our service, uh, let me pray for us. Father God, right now, there may be lies that we're believing about ourselves, temptations about drawing into a place that we just know from our heart isn't a place in which you want us. Uh, there's a battle going on for our heart. Uh, and Lord, you want us to draw close to you. You don't want to force us or deceive us, but you invite us. You call us by name. And so for those of us right now who are fighting uh, these thoughts, fighting these lies, I want to ask that you might expose the truth to us by your Holy Spirit. Remind us that you're a Father God who wants to draw us close uh, and make things right. Bring about redemption and refreshment uh, and, uh, and redeem us from our very core. Father, thank you that through your death and through your resurrection, you ultimately hold the victory over evil. And whilst that evil exists, and whilst those things are there in the darkness and in the shadows in order to try and draw us away into places that we don't want to be, uh, Lord, you also are there for us, each of us, individually. And that you are stronger, that you sent your spirit, uh, not just to guide us, but to also inhabit us and to give us good gifts that allow us to help put a broken world back together. And so in Jesus' name, uh, we uh, say to the darkness, we say to the evil, that actually the lies are just lies. That we believe in something greater, we believe in something more. And as we sing now, we sing to the God who uh, helps us, who walks by us and who is for us, and who cannot be beaten. Because Lord, the battle does belong to you. In your name, I pray, amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.